Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Jay Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Today, we're recording episode 71, and I'm very excited to have our guest, Ella Shang. But before I introduce her, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity by Jay Love. This is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. It's available on Amazon. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I published my book, I got a lot of comments and messages from many places. And I was told that they went through the same adversity. And... I decided to do podcasts from this year, 2022, because I realized that creating platform, safe platform, where we can talk about diversity in tools and in gift can destigmatize this difficult conversation. And then together, we can overcome adversities faster and in a more efficient way. So thank you so much for tuning in. Let's invite our guest. Hello, Elashan. How are you doing? Hi, Yuri. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? Good. Thank you so much for coming to A Gift from Adversity today. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. Great. So can you introduce yourself, including your name, your website, social media handles, and what you do. Okay. My name is Ella Sean, also known as the ADHD Cutie. Um, my main website is my YouTube channel, which is also ADHD Cutie. And I do also have a, a Facebook page, Instagram, LinkedIn, and all that is also under ADHD Cutie or Ella Sean. You can find me either way. Um, I'm a single black mom with ADHD sharing a diagnosis with my teenage uh, son. And so I am an advocate for other black women, especially single moms who are dealing with the same issue, struggling with their own ADHDs and trying to help their children deal with their ADHD as well. Well, thank you so much for your introduction. So let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? My adversity for me was the traumatic loss of my foster mom right at the beginning of my senior year in high school. Three months when I started my senior year in high school, she suddenly passed away of a massive heart attack. And that completely turned my world upside down. But I didn't know I had ADHD and I didn't know anything about ADHD back then. I just knew that after she had passed, I was just really struggling with life, just struggling with everything. And I just attributed to the loss of, you know, her losing her, thinking it was just that. I was just in such deep grief that 
I just couldn't get it together. And then fast forward to, I would say 36, that's when I had my son and he was born very premature, very underweight. And as he was growing and developing, his pediatrician told me that he would have some developmental delays and possibly ADHD would be one of them because he'd seen that in a lot of uh, preemie babies. And sure enough, as he got into elementary school, they were seeing that their kindergarten teachers saw that right away because she herself was ADHD and she had a young child that was also ADHD. So she knew the signs. She knew what it looked like. So I took him to the pediatrician, got a referral, got him tested, and sure enough, they confirmed that it was ADHD. So I got this evaluation done all written up and put in a school record thinking that would take care of things but it really didn't so I struggled all his 12 years of trying to get him assistance but in the meantime I kept seeing things that were familiar with him also happening with me comments from the schools were starting to ring true and familiar with comments that I was hearing at work as far as like me not staying at my desk, always being away from my desk. Um, I, I saw that I just couldn't keep still. Like it would just to drive me crazy just to have to sit at the desk for hours on end working. I knew the work had to be done. I know it was important, but it was just very difficult to just sit there and do it. And then um, like remembering meetings or just remembering simple instructions, maybe from a supervisor that she had just told me maybe five minutes ago, remembering all the instruction. I may remember one or two things, but then forget the rest. Uh, forgetting to maybe send out emails or return phone calls, things like that I was starting to see repeatedly. And so I went and got an assessment and found out that I also had ADHD, but also learned doing more research that ADHD is highly hereditary. So it's like that's when everything really clicked and started to make sense to me. And so I just started learning as much as I could about me as an adult with ADHD while I was trying to help my son with his ADHD as a teen. So. Thank you so much for sharing that in... Um being vulnerable and honest on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Let's go back to foster mom, um, your first adversity. So um, how did you become, um, how, where, where is your biological parent? Do you Did you know them or how did you end up with a foster mom and for how long? Uh, my biological mom um, has epilepsy. She's had it. What well, she had had it ever since she was very young. So she was unable to take care of me. So I had to be placed in foster care because of that. Um, but my foster mom did make sure that I stayed in touch with my birth mom always. So I, I had a relationship with her. I, I knew her. I would see her visit her, spend time with her, yeah, so. 
How about uh, your biological father? Um, uh, him, I did not know. I did not know him, never met him, so. So you and, and your I was fine with that. Yeah. And your foster mom, she um, sounds like she's an amazing person. Describe her, uh, about her, mm -hmm. and then the moment that she, you lost her. Okay. Um, yeah, she was definitely an amazing woman. She raised several, several other children. I forgot the number, She, but she always had other kids in and out of her foster home, other people's children, aside from her own three natural children that she had. So for me, growing up there, I had a blast. I was the youngest one there, so... It was it was fun for me. I mean, to me, she treated me like one of her own kids. I never felt like a quote unquote foster kid. Um, um, when our foster father passed when I was eleven, we moved to Florida, and I went to middle school there, and then to high school, and then, like I said, just coming home one day shortly after starting our senior year in high school, I come home one afternoon and I find the ambulance sitting in front of our house. And as I'm getting closer to the house and I walk in the door, as I get right in the door, I see them um, bringing my mom out on a stretcher and her body's just lifeless. And I, I just, I just lost it. I just lost it. So they put her in the back of the ambulance and I tried to get in and they were like, well, no, you can't ride in the ambulance. And I just really lost it. Then I'm like, you're not taking this ambulance with my mom in it. I'm not, I'm getting in here somewhere. And so they were like, okay, fine. You can ride up front. I took her to the hospital. They worked on her for a little bit in the back and then they came out front, you know, gave the usual spiel sorry we done all we could and blah 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 and that was it i just i don't remember anything after that i remember crying and crying and crying because i just could not believe it. like this is not happening i'm about to graduate high school in a few months this is not happening she can no she can't be gone she's got to see me graduate no no i, I it was just I was just in shock. I just really could not believe it. I just, yeah. So where did you go after your foster mom passed? I went to stay with some uh, other foster relatives and you know, life, life was just different. It's just it's just not the same without your mom. I mean, you know, they tried to give me all the all the provisions that they you know thought I needed, but it's just not the same. Your mom's love is just nobody can replace that. It's it's not the same. It doesn't feel the same. It's just not the same. So I went on through life and went on to college. I 
I couldn't finish college. I just couldn't stay focused. And again, I thought it was because I was grieving her so much. Um, I tried a few different jobs. Again, couldn't stay focused because, you know, again, I'm thinking really haven't dealt with losing her. Um, then fast forward to my mid-30s. That's when I ended up having my son, and he was born two months early, and he was only two and a half pounds. Uh, he stayed in intensive care for a little over a month. And when I first saw him, I, I really thought that God was punishing me for some reason, maybe for having a child before getting married or something like that. Or I even thought that maybe he was just punishing me for being angry with him for so many years because I really was angry with the world and even God after my mom passed. I was just angry. I was mad at the world. Like, why? Why, why did you take her? Why her? She was a good person. She's a good mom. I'm only 16. I still need my mom. I, yeah, I, I went through that for years. And so he was born, and I'm, I'm like, okay, God, just, just help me to help me to do whatever I need to do to help this baby. You gave him to me for a reason. I don't know what it is, but I've always felt that he has a special calling on his life. I said, God wouldn't, God wouldn't have brought him here for no reason. And so, like I said, once I discovered that he had ADHD, that that by itself was just a battle of just learning and researching and evaluations and um, it was just it was just a lot those first three years because even him as a baby he needed special everything. He had to have a breathing machine, a special formula, and had to be fed every two hours. There was no letting the baby sleep all night. No, I had to wake him up every two hours and feed him, which means I got absolutely no sleep that first year. But I had to do what I had to do. I was a single mom, just me, so I had to do it. Um, and that meant getting up, making this special formula for him making sure that he drank it all, you know, it, it was a special way that he had, the way that he had to, he was sleeping, everything for him for those first year or year and a half and two years was very, very split toward his well-being and his growth. So I, I just did what I had to do. I didn't even think about it. At times, I was angry that I'm going through this by myself. I'm like, it's you know, this is not fair and all of that. But at the end of the day, I was like, I, I've, I've got to do this. I'm the one. I'm here. I, I've got to take care of this baby. He didn't choose any of this. So I just did what I had to do. So how did you end up being a single mom? Like, it, is it like from beginning of your pregnancy or like how, how like when did you become a single mom? Uh, yeah, it was at the beginning of the pregnancy. Um, 
for a while, I didn't even realize that I was pregnant. I, I was sick right from the very start. So I just thought something was wrong and I was sick. And then one night I had a very, very vivid dream about my son. And he was about, he was about two, you know, that toddler age when they can just barely get into walk. And I saw us at this house and he was walking up the driveway. So I saw exactly how he looked, you know, that he was a boy and whatnot. And I jumped out of bed. Oh my God, I'm pregnant. And so the next morning, went to the doctors and had it confirmed that, yeah, I'm definitely pregnant. So um, I called the father and let him know. Uh, but I was like, I'm not really expecting anything from you. I was like, if you take care of the child, that would be great. But if not, it will be fine. And of course, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you should have made him step up. Da 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 da. Da da da. I was like, no. If God wants him to be in this child's life, then it'll happen. It may not happen this year, next year, but it'll happen if that's God's plan. But it wasn't, and I was fine with that. My son never, ever needed anything because his adoptive grandfather stepped up. And he, he took care of both of us until he passed away a few, just a few years ago. So when your son was born, the father of your son wasn't there for you? No. That's very heartbreaking. Yeah, but unfortunately, it's a reality for a lot of a single moms. So it is what it is. At, at the time, I couldn't think about it. I had this sick baby to take care of, so I, I couldn't even think about that. So when you are going through this, um, how was your mental health stage? Like, how would you describe, how, how do you recall um, your feelings when you became single mom? That was like one of... That was like one of my, I'm never going to do this kind of things. I'm never going to be a single mom. I'm never going to be, you know, never going to have to depend on a man and be left with. It was one of those things. And here it is happening. Here it, it was, and I had to deal with it. So I was angry for a while, still angry from my mom not being around that really threw me back into that for a while like if my mom was around this wouldn't have been happening i'd have been in college doing what i was supposed to do doing the things and having a good job and i you know i wouldn't be in this position and all of that stuff um even had some bouts of depression but like i said he was just so sick and needy at the time i really didn't have time to go through a lot of that. I, I just didn't have time. I needed to be up and, and on it because it was just boom, 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 boom. It was one thing after another with him. He needed this, needed that, needed that. Take him out for this. He was back and forth to the doctor like his first year. He had like 
two or three standing appointments almost every single week. I, I didn't have time for that. I didn't. It was just nonstop. He could stop breathing at any moment. So I had to be alert. I had to be ready. I had to take first aid and CPR before they would even release him from the hospital because he would just stop breathing. And he had reflux on top of that, projectile reflux on top of that. I didn't have time really to think about me. At some point when your son was stabilized, did you have some wave of depression or shock or when you thought about, oh my gosh, you know, what just happened? And did you have the, that kind of moment after a while? After a while, I, I had it. I had it for a little while, but like I said, there was always something going on with him, so I couldn't stay in it. Because, you know, I would see um, as he was developing, I could see some delays even way back then, even as far as like him crawling and walking and feeding himself. So there was always something to do. There was always something happening that I needed to address or get assistance with. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would get depressed and, and cry and sad and all that when I had a moment to breathe, but then it was like, okay, boom, you got to get back up and <laughs> you got to take the baby to the doctors or you got to, you know, go meet with the school or get, you know, get the daycare, try to find a daycare by itself was just exhausting because he was still on the breathing machine and they didn't want that responsibility. They didn't want that, um, you know, they, they, they just didn't want that responsibility of having to deal with a young toddler and a breathing machine. So it was just always something. And then on top of that, when you finally got your diagnosis as ADHD for ADHD, how was that process? So did somebody mention that I think you have ADHD or did you like kind of realize maybe I do have ADHD, maybe I should get tested? How was the process of you discovering that you were ADHD? I kind of realized it on my own just from all of the research and the experience that I had dealing with my son's ADHD, all of his years in all of his life, period. I've had to deal with his ADHD, especially with the schools. And then from, uh, because the schools would always have comments and there was always emails and letters about something going on with him at school, you know, either work wasn't get done or work wasn't turned in. And this was consistently happening over and over and over again. But as I learned more and more about ADHD, I was able to educate myself and try to educate them about what we're seeing in the classroom because they didn't seem to understand that. 
because in their minds, all ADHD kids are just, you know, hyper and bouncing off the walls and just, you know, totally disruptive and grades are just down the tubes. And no, every ADHD kid is not like that. And I'm not going to let my child be like that for you to get off your butt and do your job and help him. They didn't want to give him accommodations. And that was always their, that was always their excuse. Well, we don't think he needs any assistance because he's, you know, because he's not overly hyper, you know, he's not disruptive in class and he's making good grades and this and that and that. Right, but uh, that doesn't mean he's not ADHD because he doesn't fit into your version of what ADHD is. He needs help. He needs some accommodations. And each time I would get him assessed, the doctors would offer accommodations. So it was just a matter of opting those accommodations and they never wanted to do that. So it was, all, it was a constant fight all 12 years. It was a, yeah. And how is he doing now? He's actually doing very well now. So, um, He's actually away in Texas doing training with um, Erickson. He will be a, what he calls, um, it's a cell phone tower technician. So he'll be one of those climbing those high cell towers and doing the repairs whenever there's an issue with um, with cell phones or, or connectivity or what have you. So. He's doing very well. He seems to like it so far, and he's the one who really looked into it and checked it out, you know, learned what he needed to do to get into the program, got into the program, got a scholarship. It's actually a fellowship, so they paid for everything. They, um, through the academic program, they did the, uh, resumes and an interview. So all that was done while he was in the academic portion. So about like three weeks into the academic program, he was offered a job. So he's doing very, very well. How old is he now? He's 19. That's really great to hear. And Elishan, when you were diagnosed with ADHD yourself, um, did you go to the doctor? Did you go to evaluation? Like, how? Like, who diagnosed you? Yeah, I, yeah, I did the same process you did. I went to my family doctor and I told them that my son was born, you know, premium, blah 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 blah. Got him assessed, and he's got ADHD. I said, I'm definitely seeing some similarities that I didn't realize before. And I, I said, I would like to go get an evaluation. So I got a referral and I got an evaluation done and they confirmed it, so. Were you shocked? Mm, no, no, actually, because I was like, it all makes sense. It, it, as a, because, um, things that I was doing and the comments that I was hearing, it, it just all made sense once I got the diagnosis. I was like, oh, okay, there, that's the reason why 
I'm doing this and why I think like this and why I process like that because it's it's a brain thing. We process differently, which is why someone can tell me something one way, but I'm not understanding it at all. And someone else can turn around and explain it a different way, and I get it. Brains process differently. We learn differently, which means sometimes we have to be taught differently. And it's hard to, it's, it's really hard to get society to understand that. Everything can't be cookie cutter. Everything cannot be done the same way for everybody. We don't all get it. We don't all learn it the same way. So you mentioned that after you lost your mother, uh, foster mother at senior high school, and you know you couldn't finish college, and then um, do you think if you were to diagnose earlier, like when you are in middle school, high school, do you think that would be a little bit different explanation? Yes and no. Um, because for me, sitting in the classroom was a struggle anyway. And sitting in the college classroom was even harder because, you know, the class time is longer. And so you're sitting in there for, you could be in a college class for, one class could be almost two hours long. I mean, that's excruciating, especially if it's something boring to me, like, you know, the classes that you have to take from the core classes that you have to take, but you don't really like it. That is excruciating for the ADHD brain. We need stimulation. We crave stimulation in our mind. We'll look for it. So if that's just not interesting, my mind starts to wander. It's looking for something to stimulate it. And so for me, being in college in class was not a good option. It wasn't a good fit. But, you know, later on, online classes came. And so I did take some courses, you know, just some courses that I liked, but nothing really towards a degree. And I'm, even at my age, I'm, I'm still kind of dabbling with that, but just the thought of going back to school and doing all that, oh, no, no. So educate us a little bit more, like when you say advocacy, um, doing ADHD, um, like YouTube channel, like say, what is the most struggle for people who has ADHD um, that, people who don't maybe see, understand, like what is the challenge of interpreting or letting people understand how ADHD works? The easiest way that I've found to interpret it is, and it sounds, it's not a nice way to say it, but it's supposed to be the easiest way that people understand it is like when you hear people say that she's really, really smart, book smart, 
It's like it has no common sense. A lot of people with ADHD will hear that at some point. Somebody's say that because we're really, really smart, but it's the everyday common sense stuff that we struggle with. But because don't even understand what that is and why that is, that's where the shame comes in. And because society doesn't know what ADHD symptoms look like, that's where the stigma comes in. But basically, ADHD is a deficiency in our executive function skills. And I had never heard the term until my son was in the 10th grade, near the end of the 10th grade which I found to be shocking because ADHD, the deficiency of your executive function skills is a direct result of having ADHD. If you have ADHD, you are definitely deficient in some of your executive function skills. How that was never brought up ever, I, I just it, it just floored me that I'm just learning that very significant piece of information. And my son is almost finished, almost about to graduate in a couple of years. I, I could not believe that. But to get society to understand that piece should help them to better understand ADHD and to stop judging so much about it. Because if that's something that's going on in our brain, how are you going to be judging somebody about that? I, we have no control over that. It's how our brains are formed. It's how we process. That's something to criticize or made a sh to be to be made ashamed of. We have no control over that. That's it. Just is what it is. So that's the awareness. That's the understanding that I'm trying to bring to society, but especially for black women, because we are dealing with being black women first and foremost, and always. It doesn't matter what else is going on in our lives. We have to deal with being black first. And then when you're raising a child, especially a male child, that just compounds things as a single black mother. And then you add ADHD on top of have it. Yeah, it's, yeah. That that's a whole that's a whole load right there. That's a big load right there. So I'm Japanese, Ella Sean, and then um the discrimination I usually get, I always tell my black friend that you guys get discriminated with the color of skin, but we get discriminated for our intelligence. Can you speak English? That's the baseline of the discrimination and the bias. So what are the discriminatory words as a black woman or for a single mom part that you have given from the society or the words um, if you have any incident or some comments that you remember? Um, 
I can definitely remember because our foster mom was very fair-skinned. She could pass for a white woman, but she was Indian, but she was very fair-skinned Indian. And so whenever we were out and she's walking around in the store or wherever with us foster kids, the bus were dark-skinned like me. So there's always these looks and little whispers about this light or white woman walking around with the, all these little black kids or all these little dark kids. I do remember that. Um, but it's mostly the looks that I would remember, just the, you know, the disgusted looks of, you know, what is she doing with those little black kids? Or as I get older, it's, um, there's always been discrimination against you being dark skinned as opposed to a light, lighter complexion black person. There was always that. And again, it was just the looks. That, um, that by itself speaks volume. It makes you feel less than, it makes you feel like you're not good enough. Especially as you get older and get interested in boys and just want to talk to the lighter skinned girls because you're too dark. That That's hurtful. That's very hurtful, so. Yeah, these are um, comment that's thrown that happened within your own race. Yes, it happens within our own race. And then being, you said, a black woman and single mom with the ADHD, that adds up more. And have you gotten any um, hurtful words or anything that's thrown at you? Um. More so about the ADHD because so many people don't understand it. All they see is all they see is what I'm not doing or what they think I should be doing or how I'm not doing it the right way because they think it should be done their way or because I'm not understanding something in the way that they understand it and they may feel like you're incompetent. I'm not incompetent. I'm just not understanding it the way you're explaining it. If you can explain it, maybe understanding it the way you're explaining it. That might work for you. It's not working for me. And a lot of times you that and you get sized even more. Well, what are you stupid? You just what is wrong with you and how come you think like that and I, I don't I don't understand why you don't get it you know it's, it's just on and on and on so then after a while you may shut down just like you know 
but it just just never mind. It's not even worth the fight. When I try to say something to explain, then you get attacked more. And for a long time, I would just shut it down, especially when those attacks are coming from your circle, like your family or friends or close coworkers or even uh, somebody you're in a relationship with, spouse. When it's coming for those close inner circles, that really hurts, that cuts, and they don't get it. And I understand that they're frustrated because of your actions or your behavior or whatever. Whatever they're seeing as a result of your ADHD because they don't know it's ADHD and they don't know what that really is. They're very grateful. I don't think they mean to be. I know they're just so frustrated, but to So, Elva Sean, thank you so much. Um, before we move on to the next question, uh, Melissa Carr said, "I'm a I'm agreeing on a black woman. I'm sorry, I'm agreeing as a black woman. That's what Melissa Carr said." So let's move on to the tools that you use to overcome. So. This is my favorite part of the podcast because a lot of people um, who had come to our podcast, this is episode 71, they all had very unique tools. Most of it, like sometimes people will say, oh, just get a therapist, it'll be fine. And it's not that simple. So, Elishan, can you tell our audience what are the most tangible tools that you used? or are using to overcome this adversity and challenges? Okay. Um, well, first let me say that the whatever the strategies you use are ongoing because there is no cure for ADHD. It's not going away. The tools and strategies that you use are, they help to manage the ADHD, but it does not go away. So there is no overcoming. So what I've, a lot of the strategies I've developed have really come from coping mechanisms to either self or try to protect my son from the shaming and the blaming and the, all the negative stereotypes and whatnot that comes from ADHD, but also from research and learning and being in Facebook groups and hearing what other people are doing. And so um, for me, like with my focus, because I, focus is a big thing for ADHD people. We, we do not have a deficiency in our attention. It's that we are unable to focus our attention on one thing for any long period of time. Our brains are just all over the place. Just everything just gets in. And a lot of professionals describe ADHD brains like um, a t TV that has all the channels on, but you don't have the remote to control anything. 
Um, one psychologist, Dr. Ed Hollowell, describes it as having um, a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. And so you learn strategies and tools to help slow that Ferrari engine down. But there is no fixing it. And I hate to say fix, it's not broken. It's just different. That's all. It's like it's like expecting a Ferrari to perform like a Toyota Camry. They're two completely different engines, completely different systems. They will never perform the same, ever. The same thing a person with ADHD and a person without it. They will never perform the same. So first, for me, I had to learn and understand the brain that I have, the brain that I'm dealing with and that my son is dealing with. That's what I had to understand and learn to deal with. Which means I can't always do things the way society wants me or expects me to do it. I have to do it in a way that makes sense to me. As long as I get the job done, that should be all that matters. That can't always be the case on the job, but you can still... You can still tweak things and in a way that still makes sense to you. And by that, I mean, uh, like for my government job that I left, they had a set of um, standard operating procedures for every uh, every task that was done. There was all all these steps. And for ADHD people, if there's too many steps, it, it sometimes it gets to be too much. We need simple, simple steps, you know, simple instructions, nothing too convoluted. And so I had to find a way to make all these steps make sense to me because if they're not making sense, it's not clear and I'm not able to do the task. So I would print it out and I would make all these little notes within each step to break each step down even further. So it would make sense to me. I could remember it for myself. And as long as the task got done and I was still following the steps, I was just breaking it down even further for myself. For for the not being able to stay at my desk, which was a major issue for me, I ended up having to wear uh, either noise-canceling headphones or um, headphones where I could put on some music, but not, you know, not, not loud enough where I'm disturbing everybody in the office. But just some kind of music because that helps your brain to focus. It helps it to focus in. I know most people think that no, uh, music can be distracting. If it's the wrong kind of music, yes, it can be distracting. But the right kind of music can really help you get even hyper-focused and just knock out a whole lot of things and get them done. Um, I also do that when I'm having to do a task that I really don't like or don't want to do. 
And that's when a lot of people with ADHD struggle is when we're having to do something we don't like, that we have no interest in, that's boring, that we perceive as being too difficult or just too lengthy, too many steps, ongoing. That's when we really struggle with our ADHD symptoms. And so for me, um, I, I have to chunk it down. I can do a little bit and then step away and maybe go outside and, and take a walk, come back and do some more, step away, go to the bathroom or go get drink of water. I, I, have, to, I have to chunk it down like that. As long as there's no... Um, immediate deadlines and you can get it all done by the end of the day, then do what works best for you so that you're not overwhelmed because it can be overwhelming when you're having all this stuff to do and it just, because, well, because for the ADHD brain, our biggest problem is getting started. It's not that we can't do the job, it's how do we start that? So for most people, that's just common sense. But for the ADHD brain, it's like, okay, well, how do I start that? Well, what do I do first? Once we get going, then we can go. But again, if it's something that we don't like or that's boring or too lengthy, then we're going to have to chunk it and do it in stages, do little steps. Take a break, do a little more, take a break. So it's, it's those kinds of strategies that I've had to develop to get things done. Um, I actually hired an executive function skills coach for my son after my uh, adoptive dad passed away to help him through the, his schooling. And that is some of the some of the uh, strategies that she taught him, especially the chunking part. And I adopted that from them, and and just you know started doing that on the job or at home or wherever I needed to apply it. And even now, with the um, advocacy and courses that I take online, I have to chunk it and do it. You know, do do step two parts at a time, and then take a step away and do something else. So, so Ella, Sean, I have a question. So, thank you so much for sharing that coping skill. But saying out loud to your colleagues or your friend or whoever close to that you do have ADHD versus not saying, do you think that? helped you or it was more so disadvantage? Like, what, what do you say? Do you think it's better? Uh, it, it depends because unfortunately a lot of society doesn't, they don't believe that adults can have ADHD. A lot of adults have ADHD because they are undiagnosed children. That's how we grow up to be adults with ADHD. We were never diagnosed as children or the diagnosis. 
That's how you get adult ADHD. All these adults with ADHD were kids that were diagnosed. So I'm not understanding how they don't get that, but anyway. Um, and then it's with the job, it can be kind of tricky. You may not want to say that you have ADHD, but you may want to point out um, or even ask, you know, is it better? Would it be okay if I do this this way? Or would it be okay if I use this particular tool or apparatus to do the task? Would it be okay if I put it in four columns instead of two columns? Or would it be okay? You know, asking to do it in the way that works for you and letting them know that that will help me to get the job done better and be a more efficient employee. Something like that. Putting it in a way so that it goes back to I'll be a better employee for you know for you and for the team. As opposed to saying, well, I have ADHD. Because again, you could be talking to who has no clue about what you're saying. Or somebody who has believed society's um, their ignorance that uh, ADHD is just in children or that uh, ADHD is just, you know, some hyper little boy who can't stay in his seat. They have no clue what it looks like, especially on the jobs. Can I take a break? Can I do, can I work on this task for like 20, 30 minutes and then take a quick bake and, and come back to it? Things like that. Those, those are some of the strategies that you have to put in place for yourself. Ask your employee, is it okay to do that instead of if you're not comfortable saying, I have ADHD? Sure. So Melissa Carr said, think, um, She's, she's here to support. Um, and then she said, uh, I was never diagnosed with ADHD. However, I would have to, I've had a challenge when it was time to sit and complete performance reviews on the job. I could never sit there and complete them in one sitting. I had to step away periodically. And judgmental society. I agree. That's what she said. So this is like a live comments coming in to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would get in. I would always get in comments with staying at my desk because for me, it wasn't just the staying at my desk. Is that I would get distracted while away from my desk. So if I'm going just to go get a drink of water and take a quick walk outside, I could see somebody I know. And before you know it, we've walked somewhere else in another part of the building or I meet somebody else and we get to talking. And then it's I'm away from my desk 15, 20 minutes as opposed to five minutes. That's what would happen to me. I just get so easily distracted and off track. Completely forgetting that uh, you have a basket full of work back at your desk. So, yeah, it happens. I'm just curious to see ADHD is considered as a disability or no? 
It's a neurological um, diagnosis. It's, they, they call it a disorder. It's a neurological disorder is what it's labelized psychologically. But m most people in the ADHD world, especially the professionals, don't agree with that. So it's it'll take some time to rename that if that ever happens. But that that, that is what is considered as a disorder. My point is, though, like, Americans. No, say, for instance, I don't know if ADHD was categorized as disability. I don't know if American um, Disability Act, which was formed in 1990, would help or maybe would it matter? It, it does fall under that, but there are different types of ADHD. And so, especially when you're dealing with the school system, you have to, you have to be at a certain degree with that disability. Like my son was very high functioning, even though he was ADHD. So he was never recognized as needing assistance under the ADA. He had to be more severe, more needy. And he wasn't. I'm like, well, we're not doing that. So I just need you to help him where he is. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing this very valuable, valuable information that you've discovered together with your son and really speaking up about this very issue. And I'm sure some of the audience who might be confused or not sure, I've had a guest who didn't know that she had autism until later on his, or her life. And that really made sense to her. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Really was never diagnosed until in her 30s or so. So it could have changed her, you know, teenage life and stuff. But anyways, um, I truly appreciate you being authentic starting from the loss of your foster mom, being a single mom, black woman, ADHD, and just um, truly appreciate your honesty on this podcast and sharing your story today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So the last question that I have is a gift that came from this adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? That would be my son. That would definitely be my son. I was not expecting at all to be a single mom at 36. So he is definitely that gift in spite of his ADHD, but if I hadn't had a son with ADHD, I would have never discovered my own. And that's how most 
parents, that's how most moms discover that they do have ADHD is that they have a child with ADHD. And until they learn that ADHD is highly hereditary, so one of the parents has it, they don't really know that they have it until that, until they discover that or that they learn it on their own, they hear it from somebody like me who's advocating, then it becomes, oh, wow, yeah. Okay, yeah, I do do that, just like my kid, yeah. Hmm. Well, thank you. And my request is that if there's somebody out there who's listening and going through the same struggle as you, what would be your best advice for them? Don't suffer in silence. If you have been struggling alone, not alone. There are so many Facebook groups out there. I'm out there. You can email me. You can send me a message in a DM. But do not, do not stay alone. It's the worst thing to do, to stay alone. And you don't have to be alone. Really appreciate that. I um, want to share it with you and with our audience. I'm a child sex um, abuse survivor, and I've never met many people who were sexually abused when they were young until I started to talk about it, and I until I published my book mm -hmm. or started podcast, then I realized or people started to tell me they were also a victim and then I didn't realize like you said, don't suffer in silence, that many people were, or myself too, suffering in silence, that mm -hmm. self-blame, shame, and I I didn't grow up with internet either and mm -hmm. it, it was just no resource and people thought I was crazy. And then for me, like yourself, advocating about child sex abuse, domestic violence, homelessness, bullying. And this is very important work to me because more we speak and more we connect, I believe that we can share our experiences and suffering and again, the tools that we use to overcome to other generations, like new generations, but not only that new generations, but you know, other people who don't know somebody like us are out there. So I admire mm -hmm. you. I admire you understanding and advocating and sharing your story. And I think that's really, really important work just like you know doctor talking about cancer diagnosis and how to deal with it there's so many youtube videos about it and i think more we talk about adversity and then the tools the triage part getting better part and mm -hmm. that's possible and that we don't have to suffer in silence we don't have to struggle searching for the answer 
in searching for methods and modalities that if it works, if it doesn't work, and what kind of modalities out there. I think it's so important that we, as somebody that went through the hardship, share. So I truly appreciate you being here, present, and um, sharing your story on my podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. I truly appreciate the honor. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. And thank you, Melissa, for um, staying uh, with us. She said, and you're not alone. Thank you, Melissa. (laughs) So anyways, um, again, I appreciate you. And then I have, uh, we have more guests coming in, again, from university. And then if you do have a story that you want to share, please uh, message me anytime. And thank you again. Have a great night.